The Gospel today begins in the Holy Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning in the first verse. He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search you will find, knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receive, and everyone who searches, find. For everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him the gospel of the Lord? You may be seated. Jesus, our master, is about to take us into a master class on prayer. And it's, I suspect, his class is better than anyone we've ever taken. In his prayer, we will soon learn not only do we learn how to pray, But we discover what Christians believe. Who God is, is revealed in this prayer. Who we are, is revealed in this prayer. And how we're called to live, also revealed. Last week in this three-week series on what Christians believe, we learned at Mount Sinai about the law that God gives. And we moved then to Mount Transfiguration where we discover the one who finally completes that law to redeem us and ultimately teach us how to live. And being read by that law leads us to the gospel. Just as we'll discover now on another mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus now teaches us how to live with God and to live for God. On the shores of Galilee, this picture that you see before you was taken where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew's Gospel, the Lord's Prayer is uh, right there smack in the center of that sermon. Here in Luke's Gospel, it follows right after he tells Mary and Martha that Mary has chosen wisely to keep her eyes and her attention on him. So how do we do that? How do we make that focus a reality? How do we focus on Jesus? Well, it's through our prayer life. And what Christians believe is revealed through our prayer life. And being not just folks who read this prayer, but as I've already mentioned and as 
I'm really quoting the theologian Philip Reef. We are being read by this prayer. And so that takes us now to this week in the text as we encounter who Jesus is. It takes us into what we believe as we'll continue to discover from the law to the prayer to the creed. I want to take a moment to remind you that uh, as we dive in in these short sermons, you can dive in deeper uh, through this little book called A Simple Explanation of Christianity or Small Catechism. Uh, they're out for you to pick up for free in the fellowship hall or in the curved counter so that you can continue this conversation at home. That's what this book was meant to do is to discuss what we believe at home. As we continue this great conversation now, we get invited into conversation with God himself. The great, great awakening preacher, in many ways, Jonathan Edwards, the, maybe the most, one of the most famous American preachers in history, in one of his most famous sermons, uses the analogy of honey. And he talks about honey as being something that you can write about and talk about and explain, but none of it does justice to honey until you actually taste it. You just don't know how sweet or good it is until your lips are upon it and your tongue tastes it. And in like manner, as we will learn in this text today, We are called not just to read about God. We are called, as Jesus teaches us here in this prayer, to encounter God. And in encountering God, we encounter God's gifts. And in prayer, we discover what we believe. You don't just know a list of things about your spouse or your best friend, or your sister, or your buddy. But you know who they are through relationship. It's not just a list of postulates about what they are and what they like and what they don't like. It's about how you relate with them and how you encounter them. How you address them. Is it sweet? Is it intimate? Is it cold? Is it real? Is it fake? Is it genuine? Is it trusting? How we enter into relationship reveals what we really think about those folks. And how we enter into relationship with God and communication and prayer reveals what you really believe. So you pray like this, and then you believe that. Let me show you what I mean. If you're an atheist that doesn't pray, it goes to reflect that you don't believe. If you don't find prayer important in your day life, but just something you come to on Sundays or Wednesday nights, then you don't think God matters in daily life, just on special occasions. Too busy like lots of us are in this world today, our actions then tell us by our lack of prayer that we value our actions, we pray like this in our busyness, that our actions are more important than God's actions. 
If we pray just for stuff, and graciously God invites us to pray for stuff in the Lord's Prayer too, then we reveal that if our prayers are only about what we can get, then we are self-centered instead of Christ-centered. And if we use language that takes us away from God and towards us, we reveal who we really think is in charge as well. One of my favorites, not, is when folks say, and I know they say it so often with sweet and loving intent, oh, when someone's heard in the sending prayers your way, well, I hope they wouldn't. If they send prayers my way, they're not going to go anywhere. Prayers need to go to the one who can answer that prayer, the only one true God. And so the power of prayer centers not on us always just getting the right words, although those words, as we've just talked about, are important, but on why we pray and on who we pray to. And so we pay close attention to who we pray and how we pray. And as Martin Luther wrote about prayer, and you'll see why later he used this analogy. He said, we pray like a barber pays attention to his blade, giving a good shave or haircut. And so we pay close attention because we discover who God is when we encounter him in prayer. We discover what we believe, encountering God's nature, encountering God's gift, what to believe, how to pray, how to live to truly taste the sweetness of who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. When Jesus prays, he addresses God as Father. And as noted by several commentators and sermons I, I listened to in preparation for this week, whenever Jesus prays, he addresses God as Father. Now, he invites us to do the same. But he's the only one worthy of that inheritance, only one worthy of that sonship, that legal status as son. And yet, he invites us to pray, Father, not just Father, as we'll learn, Abba Father, intimate in prayer. Now, everyone who knows me knows not only do I like coffee, but I have a little bit of an obsession, I call it a passion, uh, with uh, In-N-Out Burger. And read an article this, uh, this last week about its CEO. Her name is uh, Lindsay Snyder. She became the CEO, CEO at the tender young age of 30, uh, and then received her full inheritance at age 36, or th excuse me, 35. She's 36 now. She's one of the youngest female billionaires in the world today. She will tell you, and you can read about it, and she's very vulnerable about the way in which uh, earning this inheritance, or receiving, I should say, this inheritance... Uh, has affected her life and that in many ways she has not with her brokenness reflected the worthiness of those who'd gone before her. She didn't do anything to deserve or get this inheritance. 
But now, by God's grace, as she asks for repentance for some of the brokenness in her life and for the redemption that God has for her, now she seeks with this gift that she's received to honor it and to honor those who have gone before her. In like manner, in inviting us to pray, our Father, we are receiving an inheritance from God. One that we don't deserve. One that we did not earn. One that only Jesus has the right to say, and yet He invites us to not just call God Father, but Abba, a word that's tough to translate because Jesus teaches us with this Aramaic word that is sometimes complicated to understand. It's really an utterance, like a child calling out as a young baby to their parent. God invites us to have this intimate yet respectful and powerful relationship with himself. And Jesus invites us to go there. Jesus himself prays like that to God, save once on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? You see, Jesus welcomes us, ushers us into that relationship because he deserves the inheritance, but he gifts it to us, gifts it to us. Jesus lived the life that we can't and don't live and died the death that we deserved, received the forsakenness that we deserved so that now we can pray because of him, Abba, Father. And so we begin to understand who God is and our relationship with Him in this very first petition in this prayer. Our Father describes our relationship with God. We begin to examine God further as we go into this prayer more deeply. I'll just take a moment to give a few examples as we hear the petition, Hallowed be thy name. We, got, we know that God is worthy to be praised and that His holiness should be reflected in our lives as his children, as we pray, kingdom come, his will be done, we discover where to find purpose and meaning and direction for life. And it's not about us, it's about God's will. We can even pray, yes, we can pray for the stuff that we need or want. He invites us to get real. And so our relationship with God deals with real life and real problems as we pray for daily bread and the stuff that we need to be sustained in life. We also know that sin is a problem. And so we need to confess as we pray this prayer of confession. And as we pray it, we are also called to share it as we forgive those who trespass against us. We discover that God doesn't tempt us when he tells us to pray, lead me not in temptation. We can keep drilling down and unpacking more and more in this prayer. I invite you to do that and do that as you pray it and as you discuss it together in your home. God invites us to think about what we pray, invites us to discover who He is. And as we encounter His nature, we can't help but encounter His gift. Luther's barber, Master Peter, asked him how to pray. 
And so Luther wrote his barber a letter, which later became a book. Uh, This letter uh, entitled, A Simple Way to Pray, but because it was Luther, uh, the letter was 34 pages. Um, But as Martin Luther explains there, and in other expositions I had the honor of reading this week, uh, he tells us that you could pray the Lord's Prayer a thousand times and not be done. Praying your joys and your problems becomes a template. And as I've said last week, and I say again this week, in the spirit of theologian Philip Reef, we are being read by the Word, and we are being read by this prayer. And we take it to Him. If for nothing else, just like uh, our hearts are turned by great music because the hymn writers or the songwriters can say it better than we can, Jesus can pray it better than we can. And so we bring to his words our joys and concerns. I'll give you an example. As I bring my kids before the Lord in prayer, I can pray, our Father, God, that they would have a relationship with you like you call us to, and that we would have a relationship with one another with that kind of intimacy, or hallowed be your name, Lord, in their life. And your kingdom come, your will be done in what you're calling them to do and what you hope for them, not just what I want. And God, fill them up with your daily bread and sustain them with their needs as you know they need it. And forgive them and forgive me as I fall short in relationship with them as their dad and help them forgive others and be a light of forgiveness to the world. Lead them not into temptation in this Dark world, God, and may your kingdom come. May the promise, as the end of that parable says, of your Holy Spirit fill them up. You see, we bring our joys, our concerns, all of it to these petitions. Matthew reminds us in his uh, telling of Jesus' prayer not to heap on words. That we don't just uh, need words, actually, we discover in Romans 8 friend of mine from the Institute of Lutheran Theology posted this photo describing that reality. That sometimes our prayers don't need the right words. We just need the right God, the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us to the Father on our behalf. And so we can just say, Amen. It's not our words, it's His words. And so Luther and Paul point us to the power of the Holy Spirit in this prayer. But don't stop there. We can pray through the commands as we learned them last week. We can pray through the creed that we'll confess later. We can certainly pray through the Psalms. When I share with my wife the Psalm that I'm praying through in my life, it exposes my joys and my concerns. And as it exposes that to God and to her, our relationship is deepened as is my relationship with the Lord who leads us. The parable reveals something too about God's heart today. That's why I chose the text from Luke to look at the Lord's Prayer. I always thought that God was teaching us to, in this parable that followed the Lord's Prayer, to be persistent. And I think that that's probably a secondary truth to the greater truth that's being revealed in this parable. And that is, if we look carefully as we get into verse 10 and then verse 12 and 13, we discover that it's not about our persistence, 
or, or even the form of our prayer. It's about the God who is faithful, lovingly answering it. This Abba Father who knows us so well promises to hear us. An answer. Even if we don't like those answers, we know that this God who we see reflected on the cross took that forsaken for us. His heart is for us. Therefore, whatever may come in this daily life, whatever answer he may give, we can trust that God will hear us and be for us. Even if it's not fully realized until eternity. It's not a gift that we have to go looking for. It's a gift that we have been given as followers and baptized children of God as Ira will be later today. It's a gift that God gives us. I'm reminded of that old story I often tell about uh, the newspaper man Hearst who sent his staff to look all over the world for this great work of art that he just had to have only to discover that he already owned it in one of his warehouses. You already possess this gift as baptized children of God, friends. You don't have to do anything except receive it and then encounter God and encounter that gift in this prayer that Jesus teaches. You don't have to clear your mind like Buddha or Uh, pray a certain number of times a day like Muhammad tells us or uh, center on yourself to be the best you like secular humanism teaches. Even Judaism teaches us to focus on places to pray. And I got to tell you, I was moved in my spirit this past May when I was at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall there in Jerusalem, the closest spot to the Holy of Holies, And I was humbled by those with whom I was gathered around praying at that wall as well and seeing those notes tucked into that space. But in that powerful moment, I also had this incredible paradox. The words of Jesus came to mind that you will worship me someday, not on this mountain, but in spirit and in truth. And then I was blown away with this crazy thought with God's promise from his word that The Holy of Holies is now in me. And as we hear in this parable, the Holy Spirit is given to us in baptism. The Holy of Holies now dwells in me with God's presence who is now with me. This kid who grew up part of his life in the projects, this imperfect person, is the dwelling place for the temple of God? That's a gift. And that I can pray just as powerfully at that western wall as I can pray on the streets and hallways of Albuquerque blew my mind as it does today. And that promise is true for me and it's true for you. I can guarantee this not because of me but because of Jesus, the one who as the annals of history tell us did indeed walk through the shores of Galilee, did indeed teach us this prayer, did indeed, even as Roman history tells us, get crucified on that Roman cross, and did indeed, as over 500 witnesses proclaimed, rise from the dead. And because He lived, we can. Because Jesus lived the life that we can't, 
because he died the death that we deserve and gave us the inheritance that was his to have, we can pray with the Holy Spirit in our hearts, the Holy of Holies indwelling now among us on a first name basis with God, Abba, Father. Don't just know that the honey is sweet. Taste it. This work of art, this prayer is yours. It's a gift given to you. Encounter God. Believe who he really is as we hear in his word and encounter in this text. As we hear one who came across Jesus pray, help my unbelief. Take my very life to be read by this prayer. And friends, pray it. So let's pray now. Abba, Father, I believe. Help my unbelief. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.